Welcome to Beauty Will Save the World. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Susie Solaviv. I am a narrative consultant working for myself, a cradle Orthodox Christian from a convert family, married to Gregory. We have one daughter. We live outside of Boston, and I read way too many books. I'm Rebecca Lonovich. I love the Orthodox Christian Church, and I want to share conversations here about the faith from our hybrid cradle convert perspective. I'm married to Victor, the best person in the world, and together we have three sons and live in the Pennsylvania wilds. This podcast is about faith and friendship, family and food, feminism, books, Netflix, art, and music. All the things. Most of all, it is about our experiences of beauty that brings us deeper into the love of God. How are you doing? How is your weekend? How is 4th of July? Oh my gosh, there are so many fireworks going on everywhere. (laughs) For the last three nights, Like I genuinely think that there are more fireworks than there would have been if the town had just gone ahead and done official fireworks. Oh, really? Is that happening around you? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, actually, St. Mary's came together. The city said because of the coronavirus, they couldn't afford to put on the show, but the community stepped up and raised some money. And so we had a little show at the high school and it was nice, but it was social distancing. So we found a place on a ridge, next ridge from the high school. And so we could be like out of our car and, but also social distancing. And I'm glad we went because we were kind of on the fence if we were going to go or if, you know, it was worth risking. And so Victor went and scouted out a spot for us and I'm glad we went. Yay. Oh, we also lit off our own fireworks, $300 worth. <laughs> <laughs> nice. You guys have the space for it, too. Yeah, we so we put Ella to bed, and then the fireworks really kicked in. And so oh, no. we just we went outside into She didn't wake up because she was exhausted. Like We've been putting her down by herself in her room, and I actually ended up trying a new trick that I Googled, oh. which is oh. just to sit there and hold the kid and do deep breathing for like five minutes and don't say anything yeah but apparently deep breathing is contagious the same way yawning is contagious Uh so you just sit there silently with the kid and hold them and breathe deeply and then just put them down and it worked like a charm two nights in a row so I don't know if it's going to continue but if anyone listening is having a lot of trouble putting their kid down to bed try deep breathing before you like put them down in the bed. What? Yeah, well, it was amazing. Like I put her down on her pillow and I walked out. <laughs> and she was fine. <laughs> that never happens. Never. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that was one thing. But then the fireworks were going off like crazy. So Greg and I went out into the yard and they were all around us, like coming from all different directions. And so we just stood out there and we turned on the radio. And um, the big thing in Boston is that the pops play the 1812 overture at the end of the concert. So you've got fireworks. Like they time the fireworks show in Boston so that they have fireworks exploding for the cannon bits. Yeah. Um, so we happened to turn on just as the radio station was starting the eighteen twelve overture. So, you know, it was our own small private celebration, but the timing was gorgeous. That's wonderful. Yeah, we are kind of low key on July the fourth because we didn't want to risk spreading the coronavirus and so far no none of us have got it so we just kept very low profile but we did splurge Susie for our pool accommodations we got a 
large plastic drop cloth. We put it in the back of our pickup and we had a swimming pool. <laughs> so I texted my parents. I said, well, we've gone full redneck at this point. And we have because, you know, after that, we shot off fireworks. So is this an above ground? So, or is this like a kiddie pool or like an above ground swimming pool? No, it's is the back that- of the pickup. It's at the back of the pickup, Susie. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> we keep buying pools for the boys and they always get a hole in them, you know, like right away and it's wasteful. And so I was just like, you know what? We're just going to do it this old fashioned way. So there you go. We had a great time. It was cold. The water was so cold. We make do, Susie. It's a coronavirus. Actually, we had a really nice time. We put the boys down for a nap after a little bit and we opened some rosé and I sat in the driveway in our beach chairs and I said, I've heard that if you want to cheer yourself up sometimes, if you plan a trip, even if you can't go on one, it works. And so we made vacation plans for the rest of the afternoon. <laughs> yeah. Oh, where are you going to go? Well, who knows? Our favorite idea was a transatlantic cruise. Mm, I like that Wouldn't one. that be nice? Yeah. We went on a cruise a few years ago with the boys. It was before Roman was born. And it was really nice. It's so nice with kids because you don't have to get into a car and get somewhere and get out of the car and get the stroller, all that stuff. And and if they're tired, you just scurry back to your room. You don't have to get the stroller, get in the car, put the stroller in the car, get the kid in the car, drive back to the hotel, get the kid out. You know, it's just the whole thing. So that part of it was really nice. And then actually, I really liked the days that we were just at sea. It was, you know, that rocking motion on the boat is really nice and I just really liked it also there was a buffet breakfast buffet every morning and they had a big old pile of smoked salmon (laughs) and I could have as much as I wanted and not worry about eating too much and not leaving enough for anybody else because it was an endless endless supply and what about COVID-19 on the cruise yeah you know it's gonna be a few years that's why it was an imaginary vacation Susie Okay, fair enough. Yeah. I I have been dreaming about Disney World for a really long time, and I just want to go. I think I just have to make it happen. Obviously, not this year. I feel so nerdy saying this, but yes, we love Disney World. We take our kids there. I think we took them twice last year. It was a little bit of an accident. The second trip was unplanned, and it coincided with the conference for my husband at work. But... Twice in one year, Susie. That's like living large, I have to say. That is. But, That's um, great. We even went for a couple of days for our 10-year anniversary. We went to Florida for a vacation, and part of it, we went to Disney World. And it was just me and Victor, and we had a great time. <laughs> mm. We had a great time. But, yeah, that would be fun. A little Ella would like it very much. Yes, I think she would. Yeah. My goal actually is to do Disney World 2023 and do it right. Like get the fast pass. I'm trying to think of what else. Get the fast pass. I really want to stay in the animal safari one. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, And at least one room, at least one night, stay in a room where like you can see the giraffes up close. Because how cool would it be? To wake up in the morning and go eat on your balcony and see giraffes. And it is cheaper than going to Africa, a place where you could actually do that. Yeah. And like go to, in in this fantasy, we also have somebody with us who could babysit. So Greg and I can go to Epcot and like try all of the cool food stuff. Oh, Um, yeah. 
because as a kid, I thought Epcot was so boring. And now as an adult, I'm like, gimme. <laughs> oh, man. No, it's the best. Victor and I, when we were there together, we spent a whole day there. We had the best time. And, you know, there's like a little, it's kind of small, but in the Mexico Plaza, there's like a little kind of like a cantina. And they have tequila flights. Can- no, I, I mean, I did not know that. Tequila flights. It was that sounds fun. like a recipe for disaster. Disney is very smart. They make everything like a half an ounce pour. So mm-hmm. it was very, 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 very small. And also we got, we were eating a lot of chips and guacamole at the same time. So, so I have to tell you about the very important thing that I learned about Disney the other day. Oh, yeah. Please. So... I found out from our friends who just moved back from Japan that there is a Japan only Disney park called Disney Sea because oh, yes, they looked at like, yeah. So the opposite of Disneyland is Disney Sea. And like, it's the only place where you can go to see some of these attractions. And like, apparently they have these, for some reason, this intrigues me. They have these mascots, like little cartoon mascots that you can only get there. Yeah, right. And now I'm like, uh, the number one thing I want to do when I get to go to Japan someday, God willing, is to go to Kyoto. But I think Disney Sea might be second or third on my list. Like, yeah, I want to uh, go there too. Could we just go together and leave everyone else home? That is a really, <laughs> really good idea. Everybody start giving donating lots of money to our Disney Sea trip and we promise we'll live tweet it or live pod it the whole way. Support us on Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> Just to be perfectly clear, your two dollars support on Patreon is probably not gonna take us to Disney Sea, but if you want to make a special donation Please say expressly that it is for Dis- our trip to Disney Sea. We'll make sure the money gets there. No worries. Yes. Well, okay. There's the Mediterranean Harbor, Mysterious Island, Mermaid Lagoon, Arabian Coast, Lost River Delta, Port Discovery, American Waterfront. So my friend had to say this about the American Waterfront. He said, "You walk in, and it's the Japanese idea of what America is. So there's a paddle boat." And uh-huh. then there are some people playing like completely incongruous music. Like I forget exactly what it was. There's also something called Fantasy Springs, but I really want to know what Mysterious Island is. Okay, mm-hmm. it says it's the port of call within Mount Prometheus, the giant park that is volcano that is the park's centerpiece and prominent feature. And it relies heavily on the storytelling of Jules Verne. Oh, okay. The 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea thing at Disneyland. I guess this is Journey to the Center of the Earth. Okay, very cool. How fun. Yeah, so Disney Sea. Oh, I remember what he said. Okay, so he said that there's a paddle boat. Yeah. But there's also a like a section that looks like Nantucket. Oh, yeah. I think I read about that. Yes, like a New England waterfront. Like... Yes, exactly. Okay. Exactly. Okay, so now I'm really done talking about Disney Sea. Well, well, just to wrap that up, I was just going to tell you, you said you have Disney Plus now? Yes, I do. I bought it, or I got it specifically for Hamilton. Well, there's a documentary series on there called, I think it's called The Imagineering Story. Ooh. And it is, I think, like five or six parts. It begins at the very beginning 
of Walt Disney's vision for Disneyland and how he recruited to build it a lot of the talent from his studio, the set designers and people who were familiar with storytelling, uh, visual storytelling. And so it explains that like a lot of the ambiance and the visual effect that you get at the parks comes from that lineage. It's, it's a set design. It's not just park engineering. It goes through all the decades and gives you a lot of sort of inside looks at different eras and different visions, things that were thought about and then never made, or like how things have changed over the years, different rides and stuff. And it goes into beyond like the American parks and talks about how different rides or different concepts were adjusted for different countries, different audiences. So like we talked about the Hong Kong park, the Shanghai park, the Japan park, which the whole story about how the Japan Disneyland came to be is just amazing. It's so fascinating. I think you'd really like it. I like a documentary anyway, but I really enjoyed it. Definitely putting that on my list. Like one of the things Greg and I want to do the most when we go to Disney World eventually um, is to take the behind the scenes Imagineering tour. Oh yeah. I know that would be fun. Well, don't see my family in Florida. I think you can't take little kids on it. That's why we haven't done it before. Okay. So anyway, in the least graceful transition ever, we wanted to talk today about a topic dear to both of our hearts that has nothing to do with Disney. (laughs) Or does it? Uh, as I say that, the the Disney Sea photo that is pulled up in front of me is one of the Easter parade, ironically. Oh. Okay, we wanted to talk a little bit about evangelical um, theology and how it's crept into American culture and may have negatively impacted American Orthodox culture. Notice I'm not saying negatively impacted the Orthodox Church saying it's negatively impacted people who are Orthodox in America. Right. Did that make sense? Yep. I gotcha. Okay. So Rebecca, you are the one who actually knows about evangelical theology, right? From a first person experience. Yes. So tell us what your life was like a little bit. Um, So the first church that I was sort of like born into was a non-denominational, like, charismatic church so like people um held their hands up and they were singing you know like praising Mm. the lord and there was speaking in tongues and the communion was a remembrance like but not a sacrament Mm -hmm. it was like a you know representational like a like a solemn time to think about you know, all that God has done for you, that kind of thing. And that church we went to until I was 10. And then we started going to Independent Baptist Church. And it was just humbly prided themselves on their fundamentalist credentials. And it was, in addition to like pretty traditional well, I, I can't really even say traditional Baptist because, like, there's a lot of different, like, they believed that everybody, you know, God wanted to save it, everybody to be saved and that, you know, any anybody was free to accept the gift of salvation. There was no, like, predestined 
for union with God and predestined for hell, that kind of thing. Those are, those are Southern Baptists and maybe some other Baptists. I don't know. Mm. Specifically Southern Baptists. So we weren't that. And they were, had a particular like sort of congregation of mostly homeschoolers, almost exclusively homeschoolers. And all the, the women and girls wore <laughs> long skirts and high necklines and mm-hmm. talked about modesty a lot and protecting our men, you know, protecting our, our, our Christian brothers. And there was a lot of like, just like, it was like purity culture on steroids. And again, like communion was a, like a remembrance, like do this in remembrance of me, but not. Did you have it every week or no? No, that and that was something that was different from the non-denominational church, which did it every you know every Sunday. Mm-hmm. The Baptist church did it maybe once a month, sometimes mm-hmm. less than that. And they did do baptisms, <laughs> as the name implies. But it was set Baptist apart in the old days was that they did not baptize babies. And that mm-hmm. was certainly true. Although very young children were baptized, you know, if they professed faith, maybe like age three even. And we went there for about five years. And then my dad wanted to start attending services in the Orthodox Church. And so we were in Cincinnati at the time, and we started attending services at the Rocord Church there, St. George's, with Father Paul Bassett. And so that is where I've been since then. Not in Cincinnati, though. But yeah, I should share my limited experience with evangelical Christianity. Yeah, um, okay. And then maybe we can move into talking about how what we've seen, it, uh, ways we've seen it impact Orthodox American culture or American culture in general. So I am cradle Orthodox and I have never gone to another kind of Christian church. I would go occasionally to Catholic weddings and funerals because my father, before he converted, was Catholic and he has an enormous family. Like, I kid you not, enormous. He was the number six of 12 children and I am the youngest grandchild on his side and I'm number 42. Oh my goodness, yeah. I don't even know all my cousins' names. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, we went to a lot of weddings and funerals in the Catholic Church. And in Boston, most people are Catholic or came from Catholics. That's, like, the overwhelming impression you get as a child in the Boston public schools. Like, everybody's Catholic or they were Catholic. And now there's something else or they're not anything. And... Then, actually, there were so many Catholics around me growing up that I did not realize until I moved out of the country to China, the U.S. was not majority Catholic. (laughs) (laughs) I I genuinely believed. Because, I mean, remember, this is like, I'm talking about 2003, so I wasn't Googling things about religion too much Uh yet. That came in college. I mean, like, we weren't Googling anything at that point. We were still using, like, Ask Jeeves or whatever. (laughs) So I made friends with some girls who were, like, pretty into 
their evangelical church. And I went with them to one youth group Bible study thing, mainly because they had come with me to my church services and it felt fair and totally hated it. Totally (laughs) hated it. Like not at all what I was used to. I'm sure everybody was really nice, but I had a lot of social anxiety anyway. So like going to a new church with completely foreign things that didn't feel right with all these new people, it was just not for me. Um, Uh Anyway, had zero experience with evangelicals from then until I got a job working in an evangelical school. And Uh I feel like I learned so much about America by working at this school. It is theoretically a non-denominational Christian school, but like in practice, it's an evangelical school. Everything uh-huh. about it, the way they the way they pray, they have chapel. There's a clear there's like a clear message coming from the administration. The most frightening thing about that school actually is that they believe that <laughs> this feels so weird to say, but they believed, and by they I mean the administration, that this was God's school. And so God was going to take care of it. And whatever decisions they made were blessed by God. Uh, Yes. Uh I'm familiar. So I had to attend all of the chapel services with my kids. Hated them, found them really boring, didn't like the music. I did not, did not fit in, was like, I didn't try to like shout my orthodoxy, but I definitely wasn't quiet about it either. Uh And then when I found out that I was not being asked back the next year, I started wearing my little necklace with an icon of the Theotokos on it all the time. (laughs) I'd be like, yeah, well, look at this. Yeah, but there are some crazy, crazy things happened at that school. There was one teacher after I left who gave a chapel speech to the kids in which, okay, trigger slash content warning everyone this is really upsetting and has to do with miscarriage but she went up in the chapel and told the kids a story about how she had prayed to god when she was pregnant that if the baby was evil he wouldn't let the baby live and then she had a miscarriage so god took the baby from her because it was evil yeah and she's telling it to high school students and so my Well, I'm sure, well, I know for a fact there are plenty of evangelicals who are lovely, faithful people. And I am still friends with people from that who I worked with at that school. And like actually two of them I consider very like best friends. I still am like very wary of that culture and uncomfortable with it. And now having been burned by it, I see it everywhere. Uh. Yeah. Like I said, I feel like I just learned so much about America because I'm from Massachusetts. Like this is the bluest of the blue state. The school is in Massachusetts. It was just like this weird outlier. Yeah. And so culturally it was just completely different on every level from what I was used to. Uh Well, Well, you wanted to talk specifically about, like you said, how we see evangelical culture, kind of like the water that a lot of us swim in, affects Orthodox culture in America. So since you specifically mentioned that, I bet you have some thoughts and feelings on that, Susie. Would you like to share them? Absolutely, I would. So... Okay, well, I have lots of thoughts on how Catholic, how I've seen Catholic... Uh, culture kind of infiltrate orthodoxy specifically like to do with 
the phenomenon of Catholic guilt and, you know, getting really legalistic about confessions and stuff. With evangelical culture, I think what we've seen is that, so there's this concept in, in orthodoxy that the law is there as a tool. And obviously we all try to follow the law. We all felt, try to follow the rules of the church. But if you transgress some of the laws, like you can be forgiven. Right. And if you are a super holy person, then you might even live outside the law because you're just walking with God all the time. Like, look at St. Mary of Egypt. She wasn't, you know, I mean, it's not law to go to church on Sunday, but she was off in the desert by herself, Um, (laughs) like constantly with God, constantly atoning, et cetera. And my impression of evangelical culture is they're, they're, because there's there's this idea that you're saved or you're not saved, mm-hmm. um, if you start deviating from the law too much, then like you become someone who is probably who might not be saved, and like that's just very unacceptable. And I think like I see that creeping in in Russian culture. In some ways, it's aligned with like with the the strictness of Russian. American culture. I don't, I feel like I'm getting less coherent as I go on. Do you know what I'm talking about? Kind of. I would say though, that I did not have much firsthand experience with, I think what you're talking about, because most of the parishes that I have been in up till now have been a mix of convert and like new Russian immigrants mostly. Mm -hmm. Um, So those like old families, you know, with like a, like a legacy, you know, I don't, I haven't had as much interaction with. Okay. Yeah. I think I'm also dancing around this because it's so uncomfortable to talk about. (laughs) So let's talk about, let's talk about evangelical homeschooling culture. Oh yeah. (laughs) So the schools are not holy enough. The school you're going to, your kids are going to be damaged by the world. So you, you teach them at home and you, and that somehow becomes the holier choice. Yeah. Uh Well, I was homeschooled myself in precisely that, in the precisely that culture and with precisely those motivations on the part of my parents. And mm-hmm. I do see that in in orthodoxy. And I think, you know, it's it's fair to say just like your average public school or something like that, they may learn in school some things that are not the same as what you would learn from church, you know, about things, mm-hmm. uh, about life or about who we are and where we come from and what we're, where we're going, those kind of things, existential mm-hmm. matters, as well as, you know, maybe like relational things. But... I I think that that awareness of like, well, you know, there's some things that we don't mentally assent to that are taught in the public school or something. Some people who choose homeschooling take the next step to from like awareness or curiosity or caution to fear and even kind of paranoia, I would say. I mm-hmm. think that's fair to say. And become obsessed with maintaining they're like what they perceive to be like children's innocence or purity. Mm. Um, and, you know, I, I have, I have known of a situation where even children, other children at church aren't good enough, you know, for, 
you know, these these precious puppets to associate with because mm-hmm. corrupting influence, you know, they talk about things at school. They talk about crushes on boys or girls or something like that. And we can't have that, that, you know, is damaging our children's innocence, you know, as if, as if innocence is, is ignorance and our lack of knowledge, which that's a whole other conversation, but, and, and if you can keep, keep that knowledge away from your children long enough that, you know, you can guarantee or at least stuck the cards in your favor of them being faithful Orthodox Christians. And that's, you know, there's, I, I hate to break it to you. I hate to break it to you parents out there, but that, that won't work for you. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. And I am, I'm here to testify that, that, <laughs> that it won't. I've done all the things I, you know, I had lived the whole life of that. And if, you know, if it weren't for the, the, truth of orthodoxy and the beauty of the faith and the deepness of the questions that it answers and then the depth of those answers, I, I would have turned away from the Christian faith long ago, long ago. And, you know, I think largely based on my, honestly, on my experience of that, you know, cosseted, you know, protected, but it, it's not really protected. It's manipulated. It's mandated. It's imposed that kind of upbringing. So, you know, if you're thinking about homeschooling and people out there, or if you're doing it, it's, it's, I think it's a viable education alternative, but I think you have to be honest with yourself about your motivations and what you're trying to achieve. You know, I think as you're talking I think I like this conversation for me is about, it's about purity culture. It's about nationalism Mm -hmm. in all of its different forms. And it's also about virtue signaling. Yeah. Big time. Because yeah, like in orthodoxy, we're not meant to virtue signal. But I do feel like there is a particular, but in, I think what I was trying to say before about, about like live, like living a certain, you know, according to certain laws, I think that's really more about, more about virtue signaling and indicating that you're living by certain laws and maintaining a certain facade. (laughs) But always with, with the explanation that, oh no, we just want to be a good example. We don't want to cause our brothers to stumble or, you know, we yeah. want to we want to like share the light of orthodoxy or Christianity or Christ with the world. I think they, they believe that that's what they're doing. I don't, I don't, I mean, I'm sure. Yeah, no, I, I think people, I think people do believe it, but I also think that they see uh, Protestant Christians in America acting a certain way and putting forward a certain face because if, I think it comes back to the idea that if they don't, then they're not saved. But they're, yeah. they're constantly acting like this. And it's like, well, how could we Orthodox act in a, you know, in a more sinful way than they are? And so we, we kind of end up virtue signaling back. I don't have time for that. I live that life. You know, I don't know if, I've, if I have seen like that particular manifestation of as much. I would say for me, one of the things that I noticed in, in, orth- in Orthodox culture that I think comes from evangelicalism is buying into the culture wars 
or like or like joining them I should say you don't buy into a war maybe you do you'll have to talk to Greg about that but but like joining the culture wars and it's not to say I mean the church have clear positions on almost every topic that or every every front of the culture war so you know the church has a clear position on um abortion the church has a a clear like long-standing position on um gay marriage for example or you know i don't know divorce what are some other hot hot topics Susie? i'm blanking okay gay marriage abortion divorce what are some other hot topics well, we'll go with those for now. Those, um, those are pretty hot topics, right there. <laughs> and I think they're—I think they are the—they are particularly, particularly hot topics right now. And I think I think we're experiencing a little bit of confusion right now because, as a like as a church, because. While the church has a clear stance against racism, the culture war, the culture wars are saying two different things. Like the two sides of the culture war are saying different things about Black Lives Matter. Like the people who you, who the Orthodox traditionally do not align themselves with the left are like pro Black Lives Matter. The, the left tradition, like most Orthodox people that I know are traditionally more conservative. And that has meant aligning themselves with the Republican Party, which I don't love. For a long time, I considered myself like a more right wing. And then I realized actually I'm centrist purely by virtue of the fact that I like have both right and left beliefs. But yeah, but Black Lives Matter is a cause that's been taken up universally by the left and not so universally by the right. So while the church is saying one thing, the people that the the Orthodox have already aligned themselves with in the culture wars mm-hmm. um, are saying something else. And I, I don't mean to say the Orthodox, like it's not everybody. Obviously, you and I are having this conversation right now. But yeah, it's strange. It's a strange one. Anyway, back to what you were saying, which was much more interesting. <laughs> No, I, I mean, I think that's actually an important conversation about a very important conversation about racism and orthodoxy. But I was going to say um, that as far as the culture wars and like joining them as an orthodox Christian, the that those conversations, those culture war conversations, take place at such a surface level, and the Orthodox Church really never, in, as far as I can tell, doesn't really operate in that space. So, you know, there's like the question like, oh, can a man marry a man or can a woman marry a woman? And the church is, you know, talking about what it <laughs> what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman. How do we live together in the world? What does that mean for our salvation? What is marriage? Why do we have it? How is it for our salvation? What is the nature of a sacrament? And how is a marriage sacramental? What does that even mean? And, and all of it, like, how does any of these things, being a man, being a woman, being in a marriage, bring us in relationship with God, deeper into relationship with God? And I think the same thing about the abortion issue, which, again, of course, the church is very, very clear on, you know, like the morality of, of on that. But it's, but like the culture where conversation takes place, it's such a, it's such a 
surface level, like, you know, is, is the child, uh, you know, like legally a separate entity from the mother and how can you, you know, like, how can you, you know, hurt your child? And then on the other, on the other side, you know, you hear these arguments like, well, you know, like if you were, if, you know, you woke up after an accident and found yourself connected to someone uh, who needed you for life support for nine months, like, I mean, you're under no obligation yeah. to, you know, have you probably, maybe you ran across that argument in college or something. That's where I heard it. And, but like, <laughs> neither of those questions addresses the real matter, which is what is life? <laughs> How do we understand it? How do we interact with it? And also this idea of like separating the mother from the baby, that like the mother's interests are separate from like the the needs of her her child in utero. Like this is, I, I think it's safe to say, according to the church, this is madness. They're <laughs> like, they're one body, <laughs> you know, for this, they're one, you know, they're one for this time. And if, and if you're asking that question, if we've come to that point where we're asking, you know, how, you know, how, you know, this invader in my body, this parasite, this, this, person that's taking over my life that is inside of me if like if we're at that point like so many other things have gone wrong and in in our whole in our whole world you know if we've come to that point like we we are lost and and I think that is what the church would say about abortion <laughs> it's like no we need there's healing that needs to be happening here we need to understand our who we are, our, we need to return to our humanness, our personhood. And that, you know, like, that's how we work through this matter of, you know, like abortion, can we do it? Can we not? And when people, when Orthodox people, you know, enter the culture wars, they engage on that very surface level with these issues and it's just words going back and forth. No, no one is convinced. I mean, it's, I think it's probably the same as like with vaccines, you know, there's like that study that said that the more, you know, solid rational arguments and studies presented to an anti-vaxxer, you know, in favor, in argument for vaccinations, the less likely they are <laughs> to actually, <laughs> I think it's the same often with the cold, like with the culture war topics, like, these arguments going back and forth, words flying back and forth. No one's being convinced. No one's heart is being um, turned towards God. And no repentance. No repent. There's no repentance happening <laughs> anywhere. Oh. And and so I I think it's a mistake. And it's not because like like I said, like church has. It's not because these things aren't aren't um, clearly outlined in the church. They are, but it it's the wrong conversation to be having and to like borrow you know like orthodox sayings or canons or arguments or something like that to take it up to that superficial chit chat back and forth arguing it's 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 to i think it is to corrupt the the life-giving light (laughs) the the words of life that we're that we're given, so I think that's one. That's one way I think that in particular I, I often see it. You know, this blog or that, you know, that newsletter, this you know, a sermon here, a uh, email there, 
and it I, th- I think it's it's a I think it's a trap. I think it's a trap that it's we're not we're not we're not doing what we need to be doing to f- help in the in the way that we need to be helping and to heal in the way that we need to be healing. So here are here's kind of what I've gleaned for, so far from this conversation. Christians don't like abortion as a rule of all stripes. I don't know. I don't know. I think I'm going to, this is a, this is a wild, no, this is like, this is, sorry, this is the base of what I, what I'm getting to. So as a rule, Christians, evangelicals and Orthodox don't really like abortion. Our church is very clear about abortion and how it sucks. Um, The evangelicals have, uh, or rather the Republican party has become the party that is against abortion. Um, And the evangelicals have flocked to it as a result. And the Orthodox have also flocked to it. And by aligning themselves politically, they also get that they're now swimming in the water that is the evangelical Republican worldview. Right. And so with that worldview comes this whole other set of morals and values that are Christian, among which are purity culture, uh, I'm saying Christian in quotes, <laughs> purity culture, nationalism, I think is tied into it. And also this, I really like, I really do think there is something to virtue signaling, and especially in this age of social media, like, People, people are trying to show that they're doing everything right by wearing the right length skirt and the right length headscarf and the, you know, and et cetera, et cetera. Right. Yeah. I, I have to tell you, like, I, I prefer wearing my headscarf like a headband to anything else. Like I fold it up into a thin rectangle, largely because that's how my mother always wears hers, but also <laughs> because... Like it just drives me crazy when everybody, when everybody wears ginormous headscarves and like, <laughs> no, I'm not doing it. <laughs> In the talking about the Pharisees and the about their beards and their the corners yeah. of the garments or something, you know, talking about humility, but demonstrating otherwise. I'm not accusing you if you have a large headscarf. Of such a no, thing. I will often choose my headscarves based entirely on vanity, and that includes the large ones. I do think, and I will say this: I'm just going to be bold here, Susie. I do think that if you if you endeavor to cover your head with a with a clearly marked designer headscarf, you know, Versace, Dolce Gabbana, what have you, that I mean, I I'm not going to say I don't know your heart. I'm not I'm not going to say that, but like you might want to check your heart. Well, I'm going to be even bolder then um, (laughs) and say that I don't actually think women need to wear headscarves and skirts. And now people are really going to come after me. But okay, hear me out. With headscarves, again, I would like to remind everyone that we are in no way religious authorities and you should not be coming to us for spiritual advice. This is just my opinion. I love telling people what to do. That's my favorite thing. (laughs) Well, okay. Speaking for myself, I am not a spiritual and you should not be coming to me for advice. 
That said, my understanding was that St. Paul was talking to talking to a, a very specific group of people at a specific time when people behaved a specific way and wearing like they didn't really wash their hair presumably very much like and oil like they did a lot of things with oils and stuff to make them all fancy and you know the the pagan priestesses prophesied with their hair uncovered and none of those things are really applicable now so yeah, I mean, like, I think headscarves are more of a distraction than just wearing your hair, like, in a normal way. Yes, distractions. Go, go ahead. I'll, I'll come back to it. Yes, but, like, I, I really, because, and I'm talking about a personal distraction, too, here, because, like, mine is always falling off. And, frankly, right now, I'm, like, mm-hmm. I am at capacity because I have my giant glasses, which are fogging up <laughs> under my, like, with my mask. Uh and a headscarf, and a child that I'm chasing. And so there have just been times now when I haven't been wearing one, and I'm fine with that. Um, A priest, I heard a priest say once that the reason that we wear headscarves is because it makes the angels angry, or it makes the angels upset when we come in to church with no headscarves. And we don't know why, but it makes them upset. And I was like, do you really think the angels care? Like, I would like, (laughs) if so, please prove me wrong, because this is just a very strange statement. I think I did read an article way back when about that. And in the article, it made sense. This, the thing about the, about the angels, and it wasn't about them being angry. The one thing I read, or I heard about headscarves that I that actually made me feel good about wearing it was that there there was an abbess from which convent is it it's the one that's near Saint Seraphim's camp the Greek one anyway she told a friend of mine that women are allowed to wear headscarves and it's like a symbol of outside pot of outward piety that's not allowed to men and so it's a blessing in that way and I was like okay I'm down with that like I can I can get behind that like it's an outward symbol of piety and I like it I like putting it on as a a ritual to set prayer time apart when I'm going to church so I value it for that reason but like I don't think anyone should be forced to wear one. Like, I don't think we should make this huge deal out of it. I think it should be something that should be like culturally encouraged. Skirts, I find no, I I don't think there is any defense for them. Um, (laughs) The only, like the, the only reason we wear skirts to church is because that was formal women's clothing formal modest women's clothing so if i genuinely feel and hey everybody i go to a super traditional russian parish and i wear a skirt every week um but i think (laughs) that pants are fine there are plenty of cultures where they wear pants as their formal garb anyway okay now i'm gonna be really under duress i feel like i've said too much no i think i think those are conversations that need to be had i i think about the headscarves too, like it's not part of our culture. And I think there must probably be a lot of context that we are missing because yeah. it is, it's not part of our like American culture, like for like a long time. And, and so I would actually, if anybody out there knows anything about that, as far as like the history of, of veiling and why, why it's a thing, 
Like, yeah, I, I would be, I would be interested to learn more about that. Actually, I, I don't. It's, it's not something that really bothers me. I don't know why it doesn't. But I think maybe kind of like you said, like it's just like a little act of devotion that I can, like a little thing that I can do, and it's not, it's not like reflective of my. It's not reflective of my like holiness or anything like that, or like even like traditionalism,ness. But it's just like a little, like a little very small gesture, I guess. Is how it doesn't bother me to do it. Uh, it bothers me when anything is forced. Yeah, I've heard stories like of a certain of place in a certain parish where heavily, heavily suggested and. I think like a lot of things, like it needs to be something that like comes from love and devotion. Mm-hmm. But at some point, you know, we all need to dig a little deeper. Oh yeah, so back to distraction. This is a yeah. pet peeve, and I think, and I think it, it kind of like loops into purity culture a little bit. I cannot stand people going on and on about how this or that or whatever distracts them at church. Guess what? You are a person in a body, and there are other people in bodies all around you. Because that's what being a human is. So you have eyes, you have ears, you have a full range of human senses, and you are going to be able to sense, see, and hear other things happening around you during the holy liturgy. Guess what? That's called being human. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, your responsibility as an Orthodox Christian is to. Let that go. Let it go. <laughs> it's not about you. I know that's so shocking, you guys. Oh my gosh. It's not about you. So if a baby is crying, it's not about you. If someone is standing in front of you in a short skirt, it's not about you. And you shouldn't be looking either. Like, look at something else. It's none of your business. <laughs> um, it's so true. If someone's wearing a headscarf, oh, it's not about you. If someone's not wearing a headscarf, it's not about you. Yeah, you know, if the, the, the priest flubs something in the liturgy, stumbles on his word, say a prayer for him. Also, it's not about you. Or the choir, seeing something wrong, it's not about you. You're in the, you're in the divine liturgy. There is grace for you. Uh, pour it out for you. Like, if you cannot, you know, just... Rain it in a little bit and just thank God that you, you're there and in a body and present. Then, I mean, honestly, you have bigger problems. So, I'm, I mean, I can't tell you how intense I've heard. Oh, it's so distracting. It's so distracting. You know, you're distracting yourself. If you're like counting up all the distractions, you know, I'm sorry, like that, you know, like this person's head lack of a headscarf prevented you from bathing in the uncreated light this Sunday. <laughs> the only thing keeping you from seeing it was somebody's child crying. Oh my goodness. Enough. Enough. Well, oh, it's so many distractions. I'm so distracted. It's so distracting. You're distracting. Okay. I want to put out there to one exception, which was the time... <laughs> that there was a pigeon stuck in the roof (laughs) that was distracting (laughs) and I could not let it go. (laughs) (laughs) You're supposed to overcome it. 
<laughs> it flew under the like under the under the top part of the roof like the shingles and so it was between it was like in the rafters so it was literally stuck in the ceiling above the frescoes and it just was going from like the cherubic hymn on and it was so bad <laughs> what a disaster <laughs> Yes. Okay. The other the other caveat I want to say is that my daughter wants to wear character clothes clothes with <laughs> characters on them to church, and okay. I tell her, no, we don't wear clothes with characters on them to church because it's distracting. But in the case of two to four year olds, I maintain that it is genuinely distracting because <laughs> then they want to run over and poke each other in the chest. Yes. I'd be like, Mohana. Yeah. Well, you know, in the in that case, you want to set your as a parent of the child, you want to set in my case three, you do want to set yourself up for success. You know, if <laughs> is this, there's something wrong with the just like, you know, like uh understanding like the rhythms of human needs as far as like sleeping, eating, uh diapy changes and such. Nope, nothing wrong with setting your, yourself up for like a less torturous, I would say, literally, as far as, you know, if it's possible, and it's not always. <laughs> okay, I will say she has now started criticizing everybody who wears characters. So now the, the new mantra is, it doesn't matter what other people wear to church, because <laughs> we want them to be here. <laughs> and yeah. if they keep coming, then they'll figure it out, or they won't. And that's fine. <laughs> But see, that's the thing with raising girls. It's like a whole other world I have no concept of. The boys yeah. don't care what other people are wearing. They don't even notice. I don't. I really don't think they do. I never heard them once comment on what someone else is wearing. As soon as this one little girl walked in wearing a dress with a pattern of Disney princesses, I saw it and I was like, oh, no. And then Ella <laughs> saw it and instantly zeroed in on it. And that is the kid she's been talking about for three weeks now oh my goodness so yeah at least it's a chance to talk about how we shouldn't care about what other people are wearing just what we're wearing make sure that we're <laughs> dressed appropriately <laughs> that is awesome <laughs> i will say also like say what you will about girls but girls never stood in the side room off of the altar and criticized the women's high heels as they came into the church. <laughs> like my husband's friends. <laughs> mm, do you see those heels? <laughs> oh my goodness. Yes, that, that, okay, about modesty and purity culture, that sort of, I think, rose in evangelical culture in America and then has, I know it's infiltrated some Catholic circles that I've kind of like observed and then certainly in our, in our church as well. And nobody is going to be able to tell you like how many inches long, you know, your skirt should be or how many inches high your neckline should be or how short or how long your sleeves and, and enough that you will acquire modesty because modesty is a attitude of the heart you have to cultivate it and it's a lot more than what you wear or don't wear. It's about, it's about humility, what you, what you say, what you, do you boast about yourself? Do you like put yourself forward 
or or your opinions forward like like me all the time or do you do you judge others and look down on them and if you're you know it doesn't matter how long your skirt is like if that's going on then you're not modest you're not a modest person you haven't acquired modesty and your skirt won't help you and it won't help anyone else and also about helping other people everyone's responsible for themselves as far as like uh, what they look at and what they see. And men are not dependent on women to cover everything up. I'll just give you an anecdote from from my my days as a Baptist. Our, we had a guest Sunday school teacher one time, the, the daughter-in-law, the pastor, and she gave a whole talk about modesty. And one of the one of the points she made was that if you wear a button-up shirt, you know, with like a collar as a woman, you know, I mean, it can be, I've heard from men say that it can be very, it can be an eye trap. It can be very distracting if you have that top button on bus. Susie. You gotta be kidding. <laughs> I'm not kidding. And that's, and that's where this leads us uh, every time, you know, it's a sad fact of life that there's no, there's no neckline, there's no long skirt, there's no headscarf, there's nothing no scrap of fabric or yards of it in this world that will protect you from the lust of mm-hmm. someone looking at you and, or that will protect them from experiencing it by if they choose if they choose to engage in it so everyone's responsible for themselves you cannot protect someone from their passions they have to fight them and yeah i think i just wanted to get that out there well put I think that's as good a place as any to wrap it up. Okay. Well, I don't think we can top it. <laughs> nope. <laughs> All right. Did that kind of accomplish like what you wanted to talk about today? I think so. I, I wish that I had it a little more together, but I feel like it's something that I wanted to figure out with you as much as, as much as, you know, talk about whatever ideas I already had. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's a good way for some topics to kind of evolve, you know? A lot about it is interaction. I still have an official sign-up. Hey, guys, as soon as we have one, please sign up to our Patreon. Send us lots of money. The more the better, always. We'll be on Facebook. We'll get our own Facebook page. I will do that. Instagram. Susie might manage Twitter. I don't go there because I'm a Christian. <laughs> and, yeah, what else, Susie? Yeah, and, um... Stay golden, pony boy. (laughs) Like a chair. Like a chair. Like a chair, everybody. (laughs) Subscribe to our channel. We don't have one, but we, you know, you can try. Thank you each and every one for joining us today. We would love to continue this conversation with you on our Patreon linked Slack channel. We have the Patreon so that for once, the trolls will have to pay a toll to spew obscenities and call us prostitutes. But we want to cultivate a community there that we can grow towards in-person, real-life friendships. Please share the podcast with someone you think will like it. And if you liked it, please rate it on iTunes or wherever. If you did not like it, please keep your opinions to yourself. Also, please pray for us. Thanks and talk with you all soon. Bye.